Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to episode 30, recorded on November 2nd, 2021. This time, we're heading into the world of civil aviation. Muki Patel is the Chief Business and Finance Officer for Austin Bergstrom International Airport in Austin, Texas. Austin is one of the fastest-growing cities in America, and the airport is along for the ride. That means a lot of smart city tech. We'll speak with Muki after Grant does his tech news. All right, Grant, it's your chance to shine. What do you got for tech news this time? Uh, let's see. Okay, so... um. We got all kinds of stuff, but the, the first thing is uh, is something that back to again one of the famous things we talk about because it is the future, and how um, AI, artificial intelligence, as some of us want to call it, um, will be able to help stimulate the brain and get rid of many of the brain challenging functions we have, from depression to all types of uh, anxiety. Um, what they have figured out um, is that um, through AI, um, the brain can be simu- stimulated with the right. When you make a decision and when you do something that uh, you, you want to, to do, and if there's a challenge, the pattern of electricity energy is different in your brain. Um, so with uh, what they call... Um, Cognitive, cognitive control, let's say you had depression, and that means you're stuck in a negative thought. Um, AI can help generate the proper stimulation to pop you out of that negative thought. All right, so deep brain stimulation powered by AI, not relying on any sort of pharmaceuticals. No, so it's a way of treating illness. Well, actually, and, and, and it's good you said that. Even some are even pharmaceuticals cannot solve all the stuff, as you know. Well, we don't even know how we don't even know how some of them work. They just seem to, but we don't know why. Well, they know you more than they solve you. So, you know, all of them take away by making you less attentive, uh, more dull, um, and, and and therefore, you know, aren't aware of all your your challenges and so on. I think that um, AI again, we talk about the strong things, the great things about AI. And this is a big deal um, that if you can improve patients' mental function by stimulating the energy to change and pull you out of a mental state, what we'll call a mental illness, because that's a thought pattern, um, I think that's um, stuff that we all want to see happen. Oh, sure. That's Listen, I know lots of people with uh, chronic depression. Anything that'll snap them back out of it, it would be great. I think so. And, and, and so uh, we'll watch that closely and see over the few years what it does, because, as you know, when you're into this, a lot of it's just testing right now. Right. Um, but it's cool. All right. Next. So, so, yeah, well, we're all talking about smart cities and moving people and servicing the, the new urban world. And, and I think um, what is pretty cool, uh, a partnership between Stanford and um, a group is, they're developing um, what we call, I don't know what you want to call them, en- uh, engineered food kiosks. 
Um, these are automated kiosks, so there's mm-hmm. no people in them. So essentially, picture a 10 by 10 or a 10 by 20 by 20. I mean, enclosed box in the middle of the sidewalk or in a garage or anywhere. And you walk up and you buy your lunch and it makes it for you. I'm not saying, by the way, it's making it. It's like a, I, I ro- it's a robot. So this is not a vending machine. It's something that. No, things- no, no. Okay. You can get a burrito bowl. You can get, oh no, it's not pre-made. So, um, so the, I don't know if you guys know, it was a, a bunch of people teamed up. I think it was like the Mission Star Chef, Eric Minich, um, a whole culinary team. And I started a company called Mes- Mesley. Okay. And, and, and so we'll call them autonomous modular restaurants. And I think, okay, how's it? It's, it's kind of like taking that food truck and plopping it down along the sidewalk or somewhere where you can all gather around. You line up, put your money, you tap your card, you, you start with uh, all the, the ingredients you want in your bowl. And it builds it. Hmm. Um, and bulls start right now at six ninety nine. Yeah, there's no labor cost. <laughs> yeah, you just hit it, my friend. You just hit it. And the te- typical machines are in a ten by twenty kiosk. Interesting. Freestanding. Um, get this: almost half the customers that have that have used it become repeat customers. I can see that. There's a couple of places in downtown Toronto that will give you that that are like robotic coffee machines. Well, now we're into the really big thing. Now we're into the big stuff. Yeah. Okay. But but I think it's all part of the urban world. Mm-hmm. Um, think think how fast you could scale this. Because what are you doing? You're doing a mass production of a fast food mm-hmm. provider, and the difference is you can choose your ingredients of whether you want a healthy meal or you know, maybe a less healthy bill. I'll well, say. I don't know how this, to say that wrong. This is uh, an avenue down which a lot of fast food restaurants are going. I mean, if you go into some McDonald's now, they've <sighs> eliminated somebody or at least greatly reduced the need for someone to take your order at the counter. You go to yeah. a kiosk. Yeah, well, there's no difference, except you still got to go pick it up. Right. So but, this is one step. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I get it. I get it. You know, McDonald's is also looking at ways of automating making burgers. I know, I know. You know, it's funny you said that, but um, and I don't want to get off topic here, but we're going to a bit. Um, because remember when we talked about robots and robotics to make things, and I said that, um, well, a lot of industries are being forced to use robots because of the way that the unions are acting and so on, so they're forcing themselves out of a job. But here's the new one now, and this is – the best one to talk about, the restaurant business. They have to go to automation. You know why? They can't hire workers. They're not available. No one wants to work in the restaurant. They can't get workers. So now what's going to happen is all these people aren't going to take jobs thinking they'll wait for something better and all that. And then all of a sudden, the whole restaurant industry is going to be automated. People are going to go, I can't get a job. There's no jobs. But that's what happens. The need pushes the application. I don't think it's the opposite. So the guys have seen the need and said, look, this is the way it's going to be. And I think they're right. So we'll call the mini self-contained restaurant. So there you go. Let's go hold hearted now because I think it's, it's, it's news in itself. Okay. And I know we all know this story, but I want to talk about it. 
So an 80-year-old William Shatner flies into space. At 80 years old is a big deal, first of all, for anyone. We would never thought you'd put a guy that wasn't like he won the Superstars contest to be on that, to be a, an astronaut, to go into space. Now we had an 80-year-old person go to space and come back. When he came down, he cried. Wait, he was crit- wait, huh? wait, wait, Grant. I know William Shatner personally. I can tell you he's 90 years old. I'm sorry, 90 years old. I met 90, not okay. 80. I met 90. And thank you, Alan. Um, I met 90, which is even more incredible. 80 is incredible. Okay. He comes down, he lands, he cries, and, and, and he gets criticized by colleagues saying, you know, it's just, you know, he shouldn't have done that. He just upstaging. Worry, why are you flying to space? We've got enough problems in, in, um, in, on Earth. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Here's a guy who played a part of a dream, right? Um, we always go back and say, remember that show? Remember when, when this guy was taken off in rockets and we go, oh boy, that's so cool, right? And it's never going to happen. And then, and then you know, um, and we never saw that, that movie when we were young, but now we're seeing it. Well, what is the difference? This is a guy who is very famous. I mean, everyone knows who Captain Kirk was, but he takes vision into reality. And then these climate crisis people go crazy. And I'm going, are you kidding me? What they don't understand is going to the moon or going to space, whether it's a trip for fun or a trip to see you can take passengers, it's changing the world. It's changing. You have to have this. You have to take your hat off to the whole group that they flew into space because one day we're going to be flying in space and people will complain right now, but in 100 years, they will say, thank God we got space travel. Well, we had this same conversation back in the 60s with the Apollo program. People were saying, well, we have all these problems down here on Earth. Shouldn't we solve them first? But the technological spinoffs that benefit humankind from these moonshots is essential to keeping us moving forward. Absolutely. And and, and you know what? Um, It's not about always the idea. It's about the mind keeps pushing. We push for innovation. Is it all going to work out? No. But the minute you stop, you will. it'll affect what you do on Earth because it's the same mindset. So the guys who want to be first on the moon want to have the first electric cars. I would say more than that, okay? So please, please, let the innovators innovate. And trust me, they're doing it for the right reasons. Running an international airport is an insanely complicated thing at the best of times. But when you've got COVID to deal with and you're in one of the fastest growing tech hubs in the world, you got to be nimble. That's where Mookie Patel comes in for the Austin Bergstrom International Airport in Austin, Texas. We found Mookie in his office. Mookie Patel is one of those guys who has a job that I think I would like because I'm an aviation geek. I love things like civil aviation. I love things like airports. Uh, I love all the things to do with traveling. So, Mookie, what is what exactly do you do for the airport in Austin, Texas? Yeah, thanks. I I am the chief of business and finance at AUS, and and many people would wonder, well, an airport really? They have administrative people. They have management people. It's actually a degree program, guys. I got my degree from Oklahoma State in 1993 in airport management, specifically to do what I do today. Um, 
I veered off for about 10 years. I went into um, the airline side of the world, which some believe is a dark side, but I did corporate real estate work where I negotiated contracts with airports for our administrative fees, like ticket counters, gates, landing rights, um, and basically supporting the debt structure of the airport, right? And airlines are really like a board of directors for an airport um, because they backstop all the rents, fees, and charges. You know, obviously net of concessions revenue, but what I do here in Austin is I also manage all the landside access programs. So Uber, Lyft, the parking operations, the parking operator. I manage all the food, beverage, travel retail functions in the terminal buildings. How about um, enforcement security? Uh, nope. That runs under the COO. Uh-huh, there you go. <laughs> all the acronym agencies, I stay away from those. Gotcha. F- you know, Austin Fire Department, gotcha. Um, TSA, but I manage the relationships with the general aviation operators on the airport. Um, everybody who, you know, a couple weekends ago, we had Mac, Max Verstappen and we had all these race car drivers come through town. We had about 260 general aviation departures rotated specifically around Formula One, which is kind of a sight to see here in Austin. Yeah, that's one of the things that we were talking, we were watching that race yeah. here at home. And wondering exactly what the logistics are of bringing in all those crews, all those cars, 160 aircraft? They, 260 general aviation aircraft that were just the high, you know, these are the sponsors, these are the race car drivers, these are the the team owners, all the movie stars that were here in town. And so... The, but the logistics around the actual operation took about five, seven, four, seven, four hundred cargo aircraft. Wow. Um, and that was just to support the logistics of the cars and the chalets that they ship around the country. Um, and then on top of that, there was at least four charter uh, flights that just brought the crews um, from their different um, headquarters that basically run the race themselves, all the crew engineers, the technicians, uh, all the Pirelli tire technicians. And so it's it's a sight to be seen here in Austin. I'm so glad I'm here. I joined this team uh, July of 2020, but I've had four different city-run airport experiences in the past. I worked at San Antonio, Denver, and Kansas City. Like I said, I worked at Alaska Airlines. Wait, wait, Denver. Big one. What's, Big one. What's underneath the airport? Can't you tell can, you. Yeah, tell you gotta you. tell you what's underneath the Denver airport. Come on. It looks like a roller coaster that's <laughs> been abandoned for years. That's the old Continental uh, baggage system, if you recall. They didn't open the airport because Continental wouldn't a- approve the bag system and then they left it in place. It's defunct now. It is super dark. It's super scary to look back there, but that's what's in the basement. All right. Let's get some scale. Uh, what is, how many takeoffs and landings at Austin every year? Pre-COVID, 206 a day. Um, Post-COVID, this coming March, we're looking at 290 a day. Why the big up? The 124 people a day that migrated to Austin during COVID has created a microeconomy here in town, which the microeconomy was already here. Um, we're, we're just... A city that's just off the chain growth is just tremendous. The, since the airport opened in the early 90s, we've seen a, a 5.8% year-over-year CAGR growth. 
Um, if you look at FAA's forecast, most airports only grow about 1.9 to 2.4% a year. That's normal attrition and attraction of, of, of demographics and change in demographics. But we've been growing at 5.8. Um, wow. the, latter, the latter three years leading up to COVID, there were some years we were seeing double digit 10, 11% growth. Um, and that got put in a, in, a, in a canister, right, and compressed. And then you saw all the East Coast, West Coasters that migrated here, that purchased houses for cash, that now have a disposable income that is much higher than your average household because yeah. there's, no, there's no mortgage payment. Um, and so I believe that increases the propensity to travel in this market specifically. How about, um, and I would say Austin is by far the most progressive city in Texas. Um, in fact, that's probably an understatement. And I think that, that, and that would drive that would drive everything if you're the most progressive because that means you want to do the most things. Um, you want to, to, to be part of the, the big national plan and get out there and do things. The, the side I see um, uh, on this as well, though, is doesn't it bring on so many more challenges that the airport didn't have since it, the, the big, I'll, I'll call big growth surge over the last five years with the migration from San Francisco to Austin, like I'm a Silicon Valley guy, so I get it, okay? And so that's had to be a big effect on how you market yourself, everything. You must be in constant expansion mode. Well, we obviously shut everything down. All the master planning was complete, but we didn't execute on the master plan when it was necessary because COVID just kind of killed everything, right? Um, when we saw 500 passengers a day walking through the airport, that's pretty miserable. Um, and so when this airport did the last expansion, they just did a nine gate expansion that was completed in 2019, but that floor plate and that capacity was set for about 15 million annual passengers. So that's 7 million, 7.5 outbound, 7.5 inbound, which gives you 15 million total passengers. You want to take a guess of where we were in 2019? I, I said it earlier, 17.3 million. So you've already blown past that. And that was by the time we opened the new building is when we exceeded the capacity already. So we can't keep up with... I'm just going to say that. How do you do that? And, and that's our next capital program, right? Then The next capital program, when the master plan was complete, it unveiled like a $4 billion capital program. But... If and I I know Alan probably understands this a little bit more. When you're backstopped by the airlines, and you only have say forty percent of your non-airline revenue coming from parking and concessions and non-airline related fee structures, your airlines are picking up sixty percent of that cost exposure, right? And sixty percent of that of a four billion dollar capital program and a debt service payment or a mortgage payment, sure, um, is is tremendous. And so the airlines do need to make money, and so. We kind of manage and trickle in that development in partnership with what their demands are. And and so what have you done? Like you said, a, a big thing. I mean, we've got uh, you've got concessions. You've got to find a way to move people more efficiently, more effectively, because you haven't you didn't five years ago say I've got a ten billion dollar expansion program because we're going to be like rocking to the earth. So now you're sitting here saying we may have that, 
But what are we going to do in the meantime? We're going to have congestion. We're going to need right. to get how. So that's the plan, I think. And that's why I have always said, Alan, uh, an airport is a city. And it's going to accumulate with another city called Austin. Okay. And, and so what you're doing is you're having to be two smart cities in one, which is really one city. But, yeah, you have to break it out. You have this group that has to communicate with the city and drive people to the airport on time and the flights, meet with merchants, all those things, not be stuck in traffic. Um, I'm going to throw stuff out like be ready for the new drone series and so many things that technology throw you in the face that there's no way five years ago you said, oh, yeah, I, I, I know that's coming. Because you know what? I'm a technology nut, and I didn't know it's coming because it changes so fast. Being from Silicon Valley, though, um, your community, our community, Nashville, Raleigh-Durham, these are becoming quite the large tech hubs around the country. Um, I believe these uh, concepts become reality much faster in those communities because the, the, the mental capacity, the, the IQ in the community the $100 million economic generator that UT is today, their computer science department is working with autonomous vehicle manufacturers and they're walk, working with robot manufacturers. And I think un- universities and their research also push out some great graduates that like to stay local and develop their technology and they want it to be local. So going back to your point about smart cities, <laughs> I, I believe working with Capital Metro on how their light rail system will connect to the airport is an outreach to the city, right? Working with, um, well, we, we get a lot of interest from electric electric aircraft manufacturers that are sure. looking to, to fly here, um, EV tall companies that are interested in setting up shop here at AUS or around the airport. Um, there's shared lots of shared mobility. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's just amazing. Now, now, I guess what, what I look at is, um, now I'm in Toronto now, and we're the fastest growing city probably in the world, definitely in North America with over 165 cranes in the ground. And so I've seen this massive growth and the inability for the city. And I love Toronto. I'm my original Toronto boy, so I love Toronto, as does Alan. We're neighbors, by the way, just live down the road from each other now. And um, But... The inability for the city to really adapt fast enough the infrastructure it needs, it's going to be very difficult, and it always will be a catch-up unless new technologies can speed up things via technology because there's no way you're going to do it with just strict infrastructure implanting. It just can't well, happen. Well, let me let me throw something in here. I'm, I'm a little um, – do you have is, – is, is AUS a – uh, privately owned airport? Is it part of an airport authority? Uh, what is its governance? Uh, thank you. And that is a great question because um, those are limiters sometimes. Um, so we are a city run airport. So we report up to a, an assistant city manager that then reports to a city manager and then a city council. Um, some airports are inland ports, which have a port commission um, or our gateway ports on the East Coast, West Coast um, that have a board of commissioners that are either publicly elected or appointed. Um, and then there's just strictly airport authorities that that's all you 
have is those community leaders that are specifically mm-hmm. focused on the airport. Like New York and Exactly. Yeah. 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 So 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 you're municipal owned, municipal run. Yes, we are. Okay. Yeah. Is that an advantage or a disadvantage when you look at privately owned airports and airport authorities? Depends what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. I think, I think a larger structure, um, city-owned, brings a lot of additional resources to the table if you're short-staffed. During the, the big winter storm, I'm sure you heard about Texas that went dark during, during uh, the last winter. There was no, no winter like uh, you have up in Canada, but there was snow on the ground here. And the city came to a screeching halt. Um, the power grid failed. Sure, sure. Um, and the airport needed to get um, the runways cleared, right? But we don't have snow equipment here. We, we barely keep de-icer for those two or three frost events that happen a year where we've got a hard freeze. But we had to borrow public works equipment, dump trucks and front end loaders to come out to the airport and help clean the airport. So we can get our passengers out that were stranded in the airport, um, and that's a benefit, right? Sure it if, is. If you're if you're a quasi governmental agency or you have interagency dependability, that helps. See, I think um, uh, wouldn't you say, um, Mookie, it's a benefit, particularly in tough times, because city will support the city's ventures. It's a, it's it's tougher to compete on boom times where venture capital companies can go out and raise billions and billions of dollars and outspend everybody and you fall into your city budgets. Now I realize, and you're going to say this maybe, but cities are becoming more and more understanding. They're getting it and they know they have to compete and they're changing. They're not saying you're this little, not little, by the way, I mean, sorry, you're this, you're this one division. It has a annual budget and stick to it. You know, things change. So, uh, you know, the new buzzword uh, on Wall Street is SPACs, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, they're basically special purpose vehicles of issuing debt. Um, and I think some cities do do that. There's special purpose um, boards, agencies, groups. I sit on the board of ABLE, which is Austin Bergstrom uh, Land Enterprise. Um, and what that board does even though I'm a city employee, I am approved by the city to be, to be a representative of the board of Able. The Able Able has a has land on the airport that uh, reconstructed an old military building that literally was um, was a housing complex when this was an air force base, and in the basement is where they ran the Persian uh, War Gulf uh, events out of. But they've converted this uh, shack, uh, this, these these uh, residents, into a hotel. But to do that, the city had to issue special debt to do that. They had to hire a management company for the hotel. They have their own balance sheet, their own reporting structure. Um, and the revenues, um, if there's profitability, it comes back to the airport. But if there's not, you know, they, they maintain their expenses and their ledger separately from the city. But it's and a, so, it's a, it's a own city operation. Exactly. But it has a, a special uh, governance around it that protects it. it. It can go, you know, do some renovations without city council approval. It can 
repave the pool without going to city council. You know, if I want to spend anything more than twenty five thousand, or sorry, sixty seven thousand dollars, I have to go to city, city okay. council. Okay, I have to write that down. So see, sixty five thousand. <laughs> no, but, but I, I have a question that though. Um, yeah. So you have shared enterprises where uh, you you get the profit, so on. As a city-owned operation, we know how joint ventures work in private operations. Um, do you look at uh, partnerships where you share revenue, or are you more we want to run yeah. own and operate our own things? Back in the day, we used to just call them deals, right? Of course, so, I'm trying to I'm trying to be more technical now. <laughs> today, the buzzword is public-private partnerships, right? Okay, um, and. Public-private partnerships in the U.S. in in government or quasi-government-owned airports is is a little bit of a challenge to get you know multiple council members, an elected mayor um, on board with doing those types of relationships. But we do them on smaller level. We we do them on cargo buildings. Um, we on this specific new cargo building we're building right now. It's ninety thousand square feet. It's $30 million complex. Um, but we funded that ourselves with the goal that it's not a P3 development and I don't want to just collect the land rent, right? Land rent only gives me about $100,000 a year in rent. This building provides me almost $1.8 million in potential. Wow. Rent, right? Wow. Now, but I carry the debt burden on the building. That but, gets that's a, but that's an advantage to them, hence they're prepared to share the, the revenue. So exactly. So, you know, we make business decisions on the airport. If it's, if it's appropriate to bring in a third party developer to maybe uh, what we call DBFOM design, build, finance, maintain and operate. Yeah. We have those here as well. Yeah, You can do a full DBFOM and let a third party, you know, just take all the risk and all the benefit and all you get is 54 cents a square foot on the land rent. Um, that's a great situation if you want to defer your risk. But if you want to participate in revenue or do a joint venture, um, maybe I bring all the pavement improvement, I build all the concrete, and then you come in and build the building on my concrete pad, and then we share 50-50 in the revenue, um, that's a different conversation. And I think that's where AUS needs to go as we issue this multi-year, you know, $300 $300 million improvements as we go down this chain, somebody's got to be able to continue to bring in revenue to support that debt. How competitive are you with the other mega airports in the region? I mean, there's DFW, which is an American Airlines hub, yep. um, Houston Intercontinental, which is um, another United's hub. United's hub. Um, so I, I know that you fly internationally to Amsterdam, London, Frankfurt. How do you how do you compete with those other big, big uh, hubs? Well, I, I look at competition differently. Uh, I think the way you'll go crazy at night thinking that you need this international service to justify your airport's presence or your size. I look at it differently. I think that we are an economic contributor, right? We generate 74,000 direct and indirect jobs. We, I think it's 7.6 billion. I just sent the email. 7.6 billion in annual revenue is what's generated out of this airport for this community, right? And, and if you if you stayed there and focused on what you're doing for the community, then you can sleep at night. It's kind of like 
Yeah, it's kind of like Alan. It's kind of like I'm not sitting here every day saying, "Why am I not Microsoft?" Because they're Microsoft, but we can be great at what we do at our level and contribute. So this community with Apple just recently built a, a about a billion dollar manufacturing facility on the north side of town. Dell manufacturing here. Samsung has the chip manufacturing. Um, Tesla. Tesla, Oracle just is moving <laughs> their headquarters. Jeez. So it 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 demands service, and when that generation of that demand comes to comes to fruition, what we call padus, passengers daily each way. A padu is based on you know what's the what's the generation? Do I have 170 passengers daily each way that want to go to London seven days a week? You, Alan, myself, I maybe go to London once a year to see my mom, but I don't go seven days a week, right? I don't, I don't have a company that generates 15 people that need to be in London every week back and forth. So uh, the growth of, of international travel comes as those companies come here. We have a 12,500-foot runway here in Austin, thanks to the old Air Force Base, but it will get you anywhere in the world um, as long as the aircraft will get you there. So we can get to Asia, we can. We obviously have nonstop service to Hawaii, um, and as you mentioned, Alan, the service to Europe. We have it, but will I ever see a sixteen-hour nonstop flight from here to Doha, or here to um, uh, anywhere in the Middle East? Well, that's all serviced out of Houston, and what's there? Big oil is there, right? And they need that access. Um, what about Apple executives flying back and forth to Foxconn? Yeah, so I think the service will come. I think either either uh, Korea, Korea, Japan, China. At some point, uh, this latest census, uh, the, the the demographics in this latest census saw a fifty percent increase in Asian population here in Austin, um, and so that population needs to continue to to grow a little bit more before an airline will feel comfortable with servicing this market, right? They don't want to service Austin and then see leakage from Houston. What's right? the population of Austin? Just about a million, million okay, people. Okay, a million people. Just look that up. And, that's, but that's, serve, that's an awful lot of high-tech industry for a city that's only a million people. Yeah, but it's just starting, Alan. Yeah, but we, just, we service a five-county region, which is much larger than a million people, right? I don't even live in the city because so I can't what's, afford What's that. the greater? What's the greater? Um, it's area. closer to two and a half million. Okay. There you go, Alan. Closer to two and a half million. All right. More like it. I, and I don't have the facts on that, but somebody will fact check me. I'm sure. Are, are you, um, do you still, I mean, you have to be tracking this. Do you have people giving you stats and uh, what the migration future looks like out of not, I don't mean, uh, internationally, because we, like you said, China and so on are migrating mm-hmm. like, they, they, like they are here. But from the other, because you're becoming a tech hub, okay, or whether you like it or not, okay? Um, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I think you should love it. It's fun. But being a tech hub, there are major corporations that are continue moving. They've partially moved. They may move more. More may come. Do you have projections that you have to build to accommodate that? Do you talk to business leaders to find out? So uh, we as an airport rely on our relationships with uh, Visit Austin, who is, which is um, a tourism uh, commerce hub here in the city, right? 
they work with a lot of convention goers and corporations that are bringing meetings here to Austin. We work with the, the Austin Chamber of Commerce that has a specifically assigned vice president who is in charge of doing corporate relocations and working with corporations that are looking to migrate here to Austin. Um, and that gentleman has a, a spreadsheet, probably 200 companies deep that are looking for some presence in Austin. If it's small satellite office or full relocation. Hmm. Just prior to COVID, sorry, prior to uh, Circuit of the Americas race, a couple of weeks ago, uh, he reached out and said, Mookie, I, I need help with uh, a motor coach. They had 17 executives coming to town that needed, you know, curbside access, roll out the red carpet for them because those were the executives. The site selection people have selected Austin or one other out-of-state city, and it was down to the two of us. I don't know who it was, right? But these 17 people were the ones that would be moving their company, making that decision. And so we work in partnership with these organizations, but I can't tell you what the projected forecast is. There's a lot of um, economists out there that project another good five to 10 years of robust economic growth for the downtown business district. Um, that downtown business district is similar to what you're seeing in Toronto. Uh, Do you say Toronto? Um, where the, the crane is like the state bird right now mm. um, because there's so many high rises that are popping up. Um, to give you one little fact, our city's um, capital contracting department is adding 41 people to the roster this year just to approve permits. The, the the city permitting office is so backlogged that they need forty one people just to get all the projects. It's and it is it is the it's always the the main roadblock. Exactly, is permits. So I'm I think it's a very smart move they're doing. Um, obviously, down the road technology will take care of yeah. that. <laughs> but, and I want to get to that because you know that's why we're all talking today. Um, but I mean another example. I mean it seems to me that you guys are very technology uh, forward thinking. Um, and now, for example, you talked about Europe, but what if, what if the new planes being made, the 15 passengers can go from here to Paris in an hour and a half, can land anywhere, all of a sudden the model changes. Okay, and I think that people aren't look, no, I don't say that. A lot of people don't think that way, but I do. I believe that, um, the the I followed very closely there. I have a pilot license. So I follow all that. But there you go. And my whole family does, by the way. Um, but the but the point being is um, these new planes, guys. They may not even pilots. We don't. We we are sure are not going to argue yeah. that because we can't argue anything these days. But even if they do, they're going to get from point A to point B in triple supersonic speed that we've used in the past and they're, and they're going to need smaller landing gear, smaller uh, um, um, runways. And all of a sudden everyone wants to get from here to here direct. And then why is it guys? Cause our future is about time. It's okay. <laughs> let me, let me just jump in here. We, yeah. we had that, we had that sort of situation with Airbus and the A380. The whole idea was to have these mega planes fly into hubs, connect to something locally, and then passengers would be distributed good, from these, good these, point, yeah, Alan. these mega hubs. 
So now the A380 is being phased out. It's thought that smaller aircraft like Airbus's A350, uh, the 787, um, provide more point-to-point service more often uh, and more cheaply than the the big hub and spoke thing. So if you've got, you know, you've got a 12,500 foot runway, which you could take, I mean, you could take an Anatov, not not a problem, and drop drop it in there. Um, So Grant's talking about the future of of aviation and if we're going to smaller planes taking off more often and going point to point what does that do for an airport like we have today well it it still is a commerce hub right um you still need some point of congregation for the human that needs to be processed their bags need to be processed they need to have either security processed or something to that effect and they need to to have some transition point from the from the from the normal human life to the aircraft itself, right? There has to be some transition point. So I think airports will continue to be a common. Um, I think there's two different. There's a company called Boom out of Colorado. Uh, Boom is recreating a new version of the Concorde, right? It's a smaller yes. smaller aircraft. Yep. Yep. It still yep. requires fuel, so you've still got to have a fuel truck to put fuel in the aircraft. It's still going to have human bodies in it, so their baggage has to go somewhere, right? It still has to be regulated, so there has to be a regulated landing spot. There has to be TSA or screening for for bombs and all that good stuff. So I think airports will still be around for a significant period of time. Now, you can also talk about the last mile transition, which is the eVTOL companies. Um, There's a a guy, uh, Joby, Joby Aviation. Sure. Which is, yeah, which is yeah. the former um, uh, Uber Uber Elevate company, right? We've talked about him on yeah, the show so, before. You know, they, they've got something that, that looks more like a propeller wing. Um, there's a company called Paragon eVTOL. Um, Dwight, Dwight Smith uh, has the coolest middle name. His name, his name is Thanos. Um, <laughs> but, but Thanos Smith uh, has a hydrogen electric um uh, EV talk. Yeah, he's building them down in Harlingen, Texas, just down the road from here, and plans to go live in Harlingen doing local package delivery and a local last mile uh, customer um, or people delivery, I guess. I, I don't know what to call it, uh, taxi service. But long story short, I think an airport will still be a hub for long distance travel and last mile or last 25 mile transport of some kind. Now, these EV tolls, can they land on on top of a shopping mall? Absolutely. Um, can they land? Can they take you from a shopping mall to? They they still have to have a network, and that's that's the key thing. You can't just take off from your house yet. You know, we're not quite the Jetsons yet, where your car will fly, but you still have to drive to a transportation point. Oh, we call that a hub. Thank you. So yeah. you still need a hub to hub connectivity at some point. I think airports are going to be around for a while. They're going to be the hub, guys. Yeah. See, right. I think what you're going to find is the airports are going to have the transit's going to hub there, the taxis will hub there, the airplanes will hub there, and then you can branch out everywhere. Well, this there'll is, be this all is, kinds of yeah. options. This is what we have in Europe, which, you know, if you go to Schiphol in, in Amsterdam, it's not only a city in an airport, but it's a train station, it's a metro station, it's it's a bus station, it's everything. Doesn't and that makes sense. That's, that's what they want to do with Toronto, you know, Union Station West. Why so they shouldn't have, they? Well, they should. That's, that's my point. <laughs> it's, it's a perfect solution. 
now, but we're, we're running out of time here. And I want to ask you a couple of technology questions. Uh, how are you, how are you, <laughs> how are you handling things like uh, what sort of cutting edge uh, techniques and technology are you using for things like um, traffic management or parking? Yeah, so we have about 100,000 transactions a year from uh, ground transportation operators that are in the for-profit model, taxi cabs, Uber, Lyfts, right? They created a significant amount of traffic congestion on the upper and the lower level roadway system. That's what they had in in LA, and they had to change everything about where the ride-sharing went. Well, that's what disruption is all about. Exactly. So when, when... that model was disrupted and Ubers and Lyfts came in. Uh, obviously, they have a, a large amount of VC money. They passed a law in the state of Texas that said that we couldn't, um, we had to negotiate a fair and equitable fee structure for them to operate at the airport, but we pushed them off the curb. We, we did. created a ground we transportation center, reduced about 42% of the traffic that came up to the upper level and the lower level roadways, which was Tremendous, right? Um, I don't have to build more roadway system to support them. People will walk from the terminal to the ground transportation center and they will do their transaction there. The technology we use is something called Gatekeeper. And Gatekeeper, uh, you may have heard about it. it it's basically a geo fencing that only allows the car driver to receive a ping or a signal that the car is ready from a certain number of lots at the airport. So we geofence a certain number of parking spots. These drivers have to come there and wait so they don't clog up our roadways waiting for a ping. And then we control their transaction. Well, did you through that manually when you had the taxi lane, taxi lots and the lineups and, you know, they all line up and fight over who comes through. So you just, you've, you've, you've taken automation. And I think, uh, so that's a great, great addition to what you're saying because that molds everything. Where do I park? Where do I drive? Who comes where? Um, and, and Every day there seems to be a new app that's being created, right? So these, these industries are constantly changing. There was a company called Ride Austin that just came out of the woodworks at one point, became a nonprofit car sharing or car ride company. Uh, Avail, Aturo uh, is out there in the peer-to-peer car sharing lane business now. Um, they were doing transactions on our curbside. You know, I would bring, if I had a Bugatti, I would bring my Bugatti to the airport and let somebody take it off for $400 a day. 400 and, sold. Um, right? <laughs> Bugatti, exactly. But if you want a Nissan Pathfinder, I don't think you deal with that. <laughs> they still um, make them? But, um, <laughs> so, um, you know, we're now entering into potentially an agreement soon that will do those transactions, the car, their handoff between the owner and the renter in the parking garage, right? Let them do that transaction in the rental car garage. They pay us 10% commission of their contracts and we go about our business and let them do their business and make their revenue. So, um, you know, we, we're in it to help get the maximum utilization of our infrastructure to the best of its ability. If we can use technology to control them, great. If we can't, then you have to come to agreement with them to say, here's where you can use your technology, but don't use it on right. the curbside. This has been really fascinating because like I said at the beginning, I'm a major aviation geek and uh, I've flown into hundreds of airports around the world, bad ones like LaGuardia, which when you talk about 
things backing up on the upper and lower levels. Uh, trying hey, to get in and out I've of the, camped uh, out on those runways many times. Oh, terrible. Uh, but then I've been, I've been to, to Doha, I've been to Singapore, I've been to Incheon, I've been to Shanghai, I've been to Hong Kong. I mean, uh, when you see an airport run properly, it's a really amazing thing. And the number of people responsible for making it run smoothly is, is, is outstanding. So this has been very good. Thank you, Mookie. Yeah, we have a cast, and character, uh, cast of characters, uh, 550 deep, that Fantastic. run this place, 24-7. They're, they're super passionate. They um, Even management will carry blue gloves in their pockets. If they see trash, they'll pick it up. Um, it, it's just what changed. you got to do. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, yeah, he's dead on. And it's, it's, really, it's truly yeah. a full-service industry now. Exactly. What's the... Yeah. Um, uh, how many passengers going through there these days? Uh, we're projecting to do 17.2 million in, in budget year 22, which started last month. Uh, we were 17.3 in 2019. That was our best year ever. And then March of this coming year, when Southwest is fully operational at 125 daily departures, we're anticipating about 41,000 passengers on a peak day, which would put us at close to 21 million passengers. And this is beyond your pre-COVID numbers. This is migration to its best, disposable income to its best, a, a demographic that's age 24 to 34, making six-figure incomes in this town. Um, and the concept of a Monday through Friday job is out the window. These people are working Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in the office. They'll fly to Punta Cana or or Guadalajara, or, or Cancun on a Thursday. I love it. I love it. They work remote Friday. They enjoy the weekend. They work remote Monday, and they come back to the office refreshed and put in 36 hours in the office. So I think if we're the test market for some of this type of hybrid hoteling, you have to be in the office some days, but we don't care where you work the rest of the days. I think this community is going to embrace that. A lot of the tech is embracing that here. And we're going to see a shift in days of the week and patterns. You know, we used to see Mondays and Thursdays as the busiest business traveler days. Now we're seeing Thursdays, yeah. but we're seeing Sundays too. Uh, we're seeing odd days of the week. Um, our food and beverage sales are through the roof. Um, selling top shelf liquor at $18 a glass and people are buying it. And I have 56,000 square feet. I have You're a shopping 50. mall. You're a shopping mall in an airport. Everything is local. From Salt Lake Barbecue to having Deep Eddy Vodka. Alan, we're going to have to book the next flight. <laughs> that was my goal for today, guys. Uh, I, I've never been to Austin. Always wanted to go. To, uh, by the way, Austin is twinned with Toronto as a music city. Yes. There you go. Come on down. Check it out. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mookie. Really appreciate it. Good luck with uh, getting past that 21 million mark. Thank you. Appreciate it. And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. Thanks again to Mookie Patel of Austin Bergstrom International Airport. Upcoming programs will feature more smart people and their ideas for connecting us through smart technologies. If you have any questions or comments, please send them along. Feedback at thesmartcity.blog. Yes, dot blog. And check out the website, thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. Executive Assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.